Hello, Canucks fans, and welcome in to episode 64 of the Canucks Speakeasy Podcast. I'm Pete. And I'm Doug. And Doug, let's get this Canucks game play going. Let's do it. Canucks started the first of a four-game set against the Calgary Flames at home. They lost 3-1. Brock Besser continued his strong play with his 10th goal of the season, but Jacob Markstrom ended up being the talking point of the game with 33 saves. Canucks get a win. 3-1 over Calgary. Hughes and Myers with a late one. Sutter put it away. Big talking point was the gift that I'm sure we're going to have for a long time of Yolevi running over Kachuk. And in the third game of the four-game set, the Canucks lost 4-3 in overtime to the Calgary Flames. Overall, it was a strong effort from the Canucks. The Canucks did show some late-game pushback as Brock Besser tied the game with 30 seconds left, his first shorthanded goal of his career. However, the Canucks ended up losing in overtime as Johnny Goudreau scored the winning goal for the Calgary Flames. Well, there we have it, Doug, our, our three-game recap. I got the win, you got the two losses, so uh, much easier for me this week, I gotta say. Hey, at least I got to cover the game with the loser point. Well, there you go. You got you got the one point out of your two games, so there you go. That's, that's what a lot of us were hanging our hats on today as well, around the water cooler, which in my case is the kitchen sink. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, well, we got lots going on this episode. We've got Jay from the Larshiders joining us, and we're going to talk a lot about the Canucks' three-game stint here against Calgary and also just a little bit about what the Larshiders are doing and, and some of the reminiscing, I guess, in a way, Canucks' in-game experiences. I think, uh, I don't know, I know I've been kind of missing that a lot lately, so uh, looking forward to getting into that chat a little bit later on. Yeah, I think Jay's actually got some really good ideas about how the Canucks as an organization uh, could have better, more inclusive ways of engaging with the fans and making the experience of going to a Canuck game enjoyable. I mean, I've been to games where the Canucks win and it was kind of a boring night. And so Jay uh, does a bit of a deep dive on that and some uh, great ideas he uh, puts out there as to how that experience can be just that, an experience. You can follow myself. I'm on Twitter at Pete underscore gas. The podcast is at Canuck speak. Give me a follow on Twitter at Doug Venn. And as always, we're building this ever-growing outro playlist on Spotify. It's the Canucks Speakeasy outro playlist. Be sure to give that a follow if you're having a long work week and you need some funky jams to get you through. Canucks Speakeasy outro playlist. So Doug, what did you think of the Francesco tweet that went out this week? If I had to say one word, it would be predictable. There was a lot of hoopla in the media and obviously the fans about, you know, Benning being fired. And, you know, a lot of people are clamoring for Green to to be fired as well. I don't think it's a secret that ownership is uh, worried about cash flow at the moment. And I don't see them firing someone like Benning or Green to sit at home and still have to pay them. And then bringing a whole new person on to payroll. And that new person, obviously you're not going to sign a new GM to a one-year deal. It's going to be a multi-year deal. So I do think if a change is going to come, unless things get really, really bad over the course of the next month or two for the Canucks, I don't see a change coming until the off season. Yeah, I think uh, everything's fair game in the off season. I, I agree when you're shedding 20% of your, your player budget and 
it doesn't really make sense to want to pay for two GMs or two coaches. Uh, I think that once we get to the offseason, though, I think it's it's fair game. I, I think there's going to be a lot of questions. Uh, I'm not sure what the status of Benning's contract is. I know Green, obviously, is up. And I think there's going to be a lot of questions at the end of the season. But, um, I, I mean, he did have to come out, though, and and say something because the rumblings were just getting louder and louder. Yeah, I agree, but I also, like, it It doesn't mean anything to me, right? Like, he's just saying something just to stop the rumors going around, at least in my opinion. I don't think it really means anything. I know a lot of people were bringing it up five months prior to Lyndon leaving the organization or being fired. We still don't really know the actual story behind that. Aquilini had given Benning and Lyndon his blessing and said all the right things about them moving forward and the future was bright and all that stuff. So I still think the there is a strong possibility that Benning could be fired at the end of this year and replaced with somebody else. A coach is a lot different. You're not it's gonna be a lot harder unless the guy is already in Canada. You can't just hire a coach and bring him in without him quarantining for, you know, two weeks. So I don't see how you could really replace a coach right now. Obviously, you know, you can put the interim tag on a guy on the bench, but I, I don't see the Canucks doing that. I, I think if they're going to make a change and it's going to be at the GM position or bring in a president, bring in a new voice to the executive room, that is an option. And then from there they can decide Jim Benning's fate and then decide the fate of the coach as well. That for me is the bigger thing is uh, you can, we can replace the GM, but I think for the organization, what they really need is a, a president and a hockey ops department and, and more people, uh, you know, kind of like what, what Pittsburgh just did. They brought in Burke and Hextel, and I, I want to see something similar to that in Vancouver. I want to see a buffer between the GM and the owner because I'm not completely convinced that if Benning goes, if the organization structure stays the same, that the new candidate isn't going to be in the exact same position that that Benning was put in. So for me, that's as important as if there is a management change in the offseason, because I I don't think it's going to happen until the offseason, if it happens at all. It's equally important to bring in a president for this hockey team. Are you worried about Benning making quote-unquote bad trades to save his job? Uh if a change isn't going to come sooner than that. I know a lot of people are saying that like, oh, now I'm worried about Benning making all these bad trades to try to save his job just to get into the playoffs and get swept in the first round. Do you have any worry about that? I'm not too worried about that just because I think it's going to be very hard to make trades in general right now. And the the chips that the Canucks have or would be willing to offer, I I think you're going to know as the season goes on if those chips should be moved and right now it it looks more likely that the Canucks are going to be sellers towards the trade deadline than buyers unless they really start putting some wins together and getting into the race so that's going to be a different situation if the Canucks are flirting with the fourth spot uh, I think it's warranted to have that discussion and I think there could be some fear of the Canucks doing their usual trading their second and third round picks for UFAs on expiring deals. So right now, though, I I don't think the Canucks are in a position to worry about that. So I'm going to hold off judgment at the moment. Yeah, I do think it's interesting that we have seen a lot of trades happening early in the season. And 
you know, uh, Toronto just made a deal. Uh, obviously, there was the blockbuster between Columbus and the Jets. And I, I, I do think teams are going to pull the trigger on these trades sooner than the trade deadline because obviously at the trade deadline, it's like the last possible time you can acquire a new player. And then depending on if you're in the North Division acquiring a player from a team playing down South, well, that player's you still don't get that player for another 14 days. Um, so I could see teams, especially in the North Division, if they are trying to acquire players uh, from American teams, uh, making those deals sooner rather than later. I agree with you. There's tons of rumors right now around the Canucks and potential trade chips with guys like Adam Gaudet and Jake Vertanen. I don't think... At least I like to think that, you know, regardless of some of Jim Benning's blunders since he's been the GM, I still think he's a guy that takes pride in the job he does. And he's not just going to make bad trades or bad decisions for the sake of it. I think he still wants his legacy, whatever that is, you know, to be at least somewhat, you know, admired. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, I, I don't see him doing anything to go out there and completely mortgage the team's future, but... I mean, critics will point to the Toffoli deal, and people will also say that at the time the Canucks had every intent on signing Toffoli. Um, but I, I, again, I think it's going to be more right now. I don't see the Canucks in a position to be buyers uh, unless something really changes. Um, and with regards to the the quarantine, I mean, some of the teams like Montreal and Winnipeg uh, come to mind as teams that have always kind of done their business before the trade deadline. And I don't think that's going to be any different this year. Uh, they, they'll jump the gun if they need to. A lot of the time as well, with players going south. And if this is, again, if the Canucks are sellers and they decide, hey, we're going to move Tanner Pearson, who's a UFA, they can send him to American teams a lot easier, especially if the assets coming back are prospects or draft picks. So it, it right now, again, as a, a lot of hockey to be played between now and then, but uh, I'm not too worried about it. Yeah, I mean, that is the one thing I will say in Jim Benning's tenure that I have been disappointed with is he hasn't acquired dra enough draft picks. Uh, you know, he's had good to great success drafting um but the lack of acquiring more picks has always kind of boggled my mind rounds two to four i did some number crunching on this week but rounds two to four and gillis was the same before him the canucks have averaged well under one pick a year in each of those rounds uh it's it's a part of the draft that they've and really i mean you could go in before this to dave nonis as well but that that's also different because the the canucks were really getting into contendership windows before that. And of course, same with Gillis with trading trading picks for assets. But the Canucks have never really held on to those two to four picks. And the picks they always seem to acquire are six and sevens. They got a, this, this Benning regime has got a real love for acquiring extra six and seventh round picks. They've uh, each had nine over their last seven years altogether, which uh, is... Hey, man, if you get a couple of them like Aiden McDonough, you never know, right? It just gives you more picks to work with. Hey, um, I wanted to talk a little bit, and I know we don't normally talk about this, but uh, it was a weird week online for Canucks fans. There was a lot of stuff going on, and I know we just kind of wanted to touch on this a little bit. Um, Doug, do you want to kind of go first here? Yeah, I mean, I guess my thing is, like, I get it. Not everybody likes each other. That's 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 just human nature, right? Not everybody is going to like you. Uh, I understand that. But I just, 
I don't know what it is lately, and I understand everybody's going through their own thing in life right now, and life's stressful for everybody, and everybody's probably got anxiety levels through the roof. But it just, it just really, really kind of irks me seeing some of the crap being spewed out there to people and just the, you know, yeah, like neither side is great. Neither side, both sides, pardon me, you know, kind of uh, try to poke the bear with one another. And it just, I don't know, like I get that you can have heated discussions and fundamental disagreements on the future of the team and the current structure and management moving forward but when you start getting personal and you start trying to dox people and you start you know calling into question people's i don't know i just the whole the whole thing just kind of made me really upset and yeah i just i don't even i don't even really want to bring it up because i don't even want to acknowledge a comment like that but there's a certain comment that was made that i thought was rather disturbing yeah and i think for me it's at the end of the day, uh, one thing I've joked with uh, uh, over the years is that Canucks fans' biggest enemies are Canucks fans. And there's a lot of drawing lines in the sand and black and white. And and really, at the end of the day, it, it, the truth is always somewhere in the middle with a lot of these things. So uh, what I want to always do is encourage discussions, have respectful discussions out there. But at the end of the day, like, I mean... We don't need to bookmark everything that everyone has said ever. Opinions should change. They should evolve. If you hold on to a notion and you just dig your heels in with that, it's that's not that's not learning. That's not growing. So my whole message to everyone out there is is listen, disagree respectfully, agree if you want, but you know, let's all let's all have a conversation. That's what we want to do at the Speakeasy. We wanna we wanna have conversations meaningful conversations and that that's one thing that i don't see happening enough uh and look i love shit posting you know i i i think my shit posting game is you know a c plus at best <laughs> but you know i never try to make anything personal i never try to attack anybody there's certain things that do piss me off and annoy me and i'll i'll say my piece but i never make it personal i never try to go after somebody's family or somebody's work or job and it just yeah, it just it, it constantly seems like a he said she said or he said he said or she said she said and it just you get to a point where it's like guys, what are we really doing here, man? Like we're supposed to be cheering for this hockey team and you know, we're talking about hockey. Like we're literally talking about a sport. Like none of this in the grand scheme of our lives, none of this really actually matters. And then when you start trying to rip apart someone's family life or their job or post their address it just i don't know it just gets disgusting and like i said like i think both of the of this massive divide i think both parties have been guilty of of being shitty now you also got limp biscuits stuck in my head with all that he said she said bullshit but hey this is a great segue to go into our chirping segment as well. And uh, I'm going to go first with a friend of the show, Leaf Rolin. You can follow him at Leaf Rolin. And he said, giving up the extra point to Calgary is less than ideal. On the other hand, they haven't been stealing loser points either. Hate to say it, but this is an improvement. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I thought the Canucks played a, a good game last night. I, I The Canucks... And I'm not trying to make this as an excuse. So again, I know a lot of like the anti, you know, 
Benning crowd are going to say, oh, this is just an excuse, you know, just like COVID's an excuse and all this stuff. The Canucks have had bad bounces this year. They've had a lot of unlucky goals against pucks bouncing in off their own players. Obviously, you know, Nate Schmidt made that gaffe last night, but, you know, I don't think the way Thatcher Demko played the puck was a great play either. You know, I thought he had time to kind of wait and let things develop before just kind of forcing the puck into Nate Schmidt's skates and then Schmidt panicking and trying to make a move up ice and coughed it up to a Calgary Flame player. The Canucks have also hit a lot of crossbars, and I I believe Petey, I swear I saw a stat, uh, where someone said Petey has hit the most crossbars in the league by like a two or three to one margin. Um, I do think the Canucks are playing better. I do think the extra rest they had in this Calgary series, they still have one game left uh, tomorrow night, I do think uh, has helped them. And if you're going to lose, take the point, right? Uh, Manage your losses. Yeah. My first chirp is from a great follow, uh, Vintage Canucks. You can follow him at Vintage Canucks. And simply, Luke Bourdon would have been 34 today. Hashtag Canucks. Jeez, man, that's that's uh, that's a tough one. I, I I know a lot of Canucks fans were really hyped on Luke Bourdon, and I was as well, and that was tragic. And I remember watching him at the juniors and just being really excited to have a Canucks defenseman performing really well at the juniors. Because, I mean, tell me another time where a Team Canada Canucks defenseman is, has done something like that. I, I can't remember. Um, geez, yeah, imagine what, I wonder, like, it's, he's one of those guys, like, I just wonder, what if, uh, what if he, he hadn't gotten in that accident? What if he, what, it, what he could have done to this team? Um, oh, that's a sad one, man. But, uh, yeah, RIP Luke Bourdon. Um, that was, uh, that was a tough one. Um, my next one, Ken Henderson, you can follow him at Krusty, like Krusty the Clown, 027. And I tweeted something similar to this as well. So uh, I've got definitely got some opinions. But he said, can we take Miller off the top unit and put Hoglander with them? Uh, yes, I agree. I, I would agree with that. I, I, I would like to see Hoglander on the first unit power play and put Miller on the second unit power play. Uh, the second unit power play still has yet to score a goal this year. I know they got one with like a second left last night. Um, but I definitely think that the second unit needs some sort of injection or some sort of change. And Hoglander in the first unit makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, I'd like to see that. Just him and him and Quinn doing spinoramas out there. That'd be fun. And my final chirp comes from Dylan. You can give him a follow at conditional first. Forget taking the puck to the net, but if Jake Vertanen could hit more often than I would feel, then I would feel better about him being in the lineup. Oh, then <laughs> every, every year, right? It's like, we talk about Jake, we talk about the tools. You occasionally see it. You, you occasionally see Jake Vertanen throw a hit or skate full steam down the wing and you get excited and you're like, there it is. And then you don't see it again. And it just, it just goes away. Um, I, I do believe that this will be the last year that Vertanen will be a Canuck, uh, whether, he is traded during the season or after the season. Um, but with the way his contract is structured, I don't think there's any way the Canucks will qualify him after year two if he continues like this. Um, I think a change of scenery would do him best. But, yeah, I mean, you just you want him to bring something. I thought uh, the game they won, I thought he had a, a decent game with uh, Beagle and Erickson, which is just like a, 
a weird line in general, but I thought they actually played decent. But then last night, again, I wasn't I wasn't crazy about his game again. And he had one rush down the wing that I noticed, and unfortunately, I noticed his mistakes more than the good things he did. So yeah, um, I'm with you, Dylan. Well, that's uh, that's a wrap on chirping. Should we get Jay on the line here and do uh, do a deep dive into all things Canucks? Let's do it. Joining us now, our guest for the week, we got Jay from the Larshiders joining us. You can follow him on Twitter at Blue Collar Brigade. Drop all the E's in that Twitter handle. Jay, how you doing? Um, great, guys. Thanks for having me here. I'm uh, excited to talk some hockey. It's uh, it's uh, lonely all by yourself. Uh, no one to ho- talk hockey to except for on Twitter. <laughs> Yeah, thanks for joining us, Jay. Uh, Pete and I have been wanting to get you on as a guest for uh, quite some time now, and uh, yeah, I think there's definitely a lot to talk out in the talk about in the Vancouver market this past uh, week or so. For sure, we're going to focus. Never, never a shortage of drama. <laughs> no, there never is, and we're going to focus on uh, the last three games against Calgary here, which has been a bit of a mixed bag of nuts. I, I would say, you know, we got a kind of three points out of three games. Some good, some bad, a little less ugly. Jay, what do you think about what we've seen out of this homestand against the Flames so far? Yeah, I think it's really telling um, of kind of where the team's at. Like, everything is going to be really tough. Um, players have to be at the top of their game for, for us to execute. And um, I, I think, you know, it's just kind of we've gone through a, a third of the season here and a uh, quarter of the season and, I think the team is just right where it's at, you know, uh, looked on it. I, I was hopeful for a little bit more. I thought we'd be a little bit more competitive, especially with uh, Calgary and, um, and Edmonton. But uh, the last three games, I think just put that in a nutshell that uh, it's tough to compete against those teams. And that's who we're competing against for a playoff spot. Do you think the team has settled down a bit with a few rest days all of a sudden? I mean, it was a, compact schedule i mean the north is really the only division that has not been hit by covid yet knock on wood and the canucks seem to have the worst of that and playing the most games do you think having those couple extra practice days has allowed the team to settle down a bit oh yeah yeah practice is huge um like you got to remember too that there's been a really high staff turnover uh with the team and uh not just the X's and O's, but building that relationship, that trust uh, between the new staff members and, and the players themselves. And you do that through practice, uh, obviously with training camp that was there for them. But other than that, there's been really limited opportunities for uh, that trust to be built and uh, for them to see the game uh, in each other's eyes and to see uh, how they want to execute. So, you know, practice is key. Um, you know, it's, it's how you get uh, the work done and it's how you get the reps in. I know uh, Travis Green brought up that they wanted to change and tweak the system they've been playing because they've been giving up too many odd man rushes and too many giveaways. And one of the reasons why you said they weren't able to make those adjustments sooner was because of the lack of practice. And I still think the Canucks should be playing better. I, I do think that they've been a disappointment, although they have played better. I thought the three game set they just played with Calgary was probably their best hockey consistently game in game out. Um, but do you think 
the schedule, like you address the new faces in the lineup and that lack of camaraderie where players can't actually interact with each other post game. They all have to go back to their hotel room and not actually, you know, when they were in the bubble, the Canucks were kind of like the hot buzz team because clearly that group really bonded and they were having all kinds of fun outside of games. And they did so much together to kind of build this team chemistry and, Regardless of certain players leaving, you know, Chris Tanev, Troy Stetcher, Jacob Markstrom, I do personally think that the players not getting to have that one-on-one time with each other after the game has affected some of their on-ice play. What do you think of that, Jay? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm a big proponent of uh, culture and big proponent of, of, you know, like it's kind of corny to say, but like energy. Um, and you only create that uh you know, by, by FaceTime, you only create that by, with time, uh, you know, you can't manufacture it. Uh, it's just, it's not possible. Like you can catch lightning in a bottle. Um, you know, people can come together quickly, uh, especially if you're highly talented athletes, but, uh, this team is not constructed to be one of the top 10 teams in the league. It's just not, you can't look at it and expect that it's going to be. Um, and when you're playing, you know, two of the, the top 10, teams on a regular basis and they're just shellacking you um you know it it, is just being shown and the kind of like what i said before is just it's indicative of what this roster is made of but yeah you need those um you need that energy you need that 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 time that uh you know you need to build um that that camaraderie that's just you can't replace it any other way and um you know, the roster changes for sure. Like I said, the staff changes for sure. Um, and you saw it, I think, um, with Calgary coming into the second game, uh, like you were kind of alluding to in terms of, you know, they're not able to do as much. So like Calgary's sitting in the hotel for three days and then they play us and like, what do they look like? They don't look good. Um, you know, and they're not able to bond with each other, have fun, yak it up. They're on the video games, watching Netflix, you know, stagnant in the room. So, um, you know, that made us look good because our guys had some time to get out and practice together to yak it up a bit in the dressing room, you know, uh, get into the routine a little bit. Uh, and that really helped. But, um, you know, again, like it all comes down to like building that, that energy and then building that, that kind of base and that core that, uh, you know, gives you self-efficacy and team efficacy to, to go out and perform how you want to perform. A lot has been made about the departures on the ice and, and off the ice as well. I know I, I'm a big Manny Malhotra fan. That one really hurt for me. Um, but with the new guys on the ice, who has impressed you the most? I mean, we've, we've got some rookies in the lineup. We've had some guys that we've acquired through free agency. Who has really stood out for you this year? Yeah, I, I don't know. Is there any doubt? Like, man, <laughs> that guy is a magician. Holy geez. Like, all world. Um I remember when they drafted him, uh, Hoglander, that is like, uh, like they were touting his skill set so high. And um, I remember like the Canucks took a chance on like a Finnish guy that was also uh, really small um, a few years prior. Uh, his name's escaping me right now, but you know, I kind of have the same Palmu. hopes. Like, oh, so, yeah, Palmu. That's right. That's Palm Petrus, um, who's also a really sick player. Um, but it's, um, you know, his size just got in his way and he couldn't do it at that level. So, you know, obviously the Hoglander had really was hopeful for sure. Um, but I kind of assume that he kind of fall into the Petrus Palmu, uh, 
kind of category and, you know, really at least struggle to get into the league. Um, you know, good on that kid, man. He's, he's put in the work. Um, his edges are insane, like just incredible. Um, you know, in the top, top third of the league already, um, with his edge work, uh, you know, not to mention his hands and then just the motor on him is, is incredible. Like, so I don't know if I could pick out anyone, you know, no one would be above him for sure. Um, he, he's, I'm really excited about him, really excited to see him, uh, progress. And, you know, he's just a, a player to watch. So as a fan, that's what you look for. And that's what you hope for when, when these guys are drafted. So, uh, he's definitely stood out, uh, immensely. Um, you know, I haven't been overly impressed with any other uh, new acquisitions, I would say. Um, I've always been a big Ulevi fan. Uh, you know, I watched him play in the World Juniors over in Helsinki, and he was just phenomenal there. He's obviously had a lot of, you know, unfortunate circumstances with injury. Um, you know, he's had a really high expectations on himself uh, and from uh, the outside, uh, which has made, you know, breaking into league pretty difficult. Um but, uh, you know, if you call him new or not, um, I'm pretty, pretty impressed with him. Uh, he's steady. I think he'll fit in uh, pretty well long-term for the team. Uh, you know, not in a necessary top three, but, you know, hopefully cracking the four. And if he's your five, then, you know, you're, you're, you're doing okay. So um, those would kind of be the two guys that, you know, I've been kind of excited about. A lot is being made about Hoglander. Like, I, I'm in the same boat. Like, watching him, he just, he just seems to be getting better every game. And there is – being a couple of shifts where watching his skating and his, and his spins and his edge work, it's, it's a little bit like watching Quinn Hughes in a forward position, but Olio Levy is, is not getting enough talk. And I know he's been in and out of the lineup, but I do feel like this last couple of games, he's maybe starting to solidify himself a little bit more into that bottom six role. What have you noticed about your Levy's kind of transition now from being a guy in and out to possibly getting a little bit more regular ice time? Yeah. Um, you know, he had, the, I think it was in Winnipeg where he scored his first goal, I believe. Um, you know, and then he got out of the lineup after that and, you know, looking at it, uh, from my perspective anyways, it's like, it was really frustrating because I thought he played really well. Um, but it's a numbers game in terms of lefts and rights. Uh, you know, he was the fourth, uh, lefty, I think. Uh, or maybe the fifth lefty uh, um, in the lineup, uh, you know, with only one right-handed shot. So that's why Chatfield got in, you know, it wasn't because, you know, Chatfield looked okay. He was serviceable, but the deciding factor was definitely uh, that he's a right-handed shot. And, you know, you played well enough to maintain a spot in the lineup, um, especially for him not to get another look sooner uh, while the team was kind of in a tailspin um, and nothing against Chatfield. Like, I, he's not an NHL defenseman right now. Um, I think Ole Ulevi is, um, but you know he got caught and Ulevi got caught in the the rights and lefts game um, and kind of got left out for a little while. Uh, good on him. He got back in the lineup. Really minimized his mistakes. Um, you know, I would say in some games he's been really unnoticeable in a good way. Uh, kind of the way you know Tanev was unnoticeable um, in a lot of games here where. Just making simple plays, not overextending himself, um, you know, making positive things happen for the team um, and, and creating, uh, creating some positivity, um, you know, for, for his lines when he's out there. And 
you know, obviously still a rookie, still going to make mistakes, um, getting caught every once in a while. But, um, you know, overall, I've been really impressed. Uh, he is, uh, I want to say, sheltered slightly, again, because he's not playing his off wing. Um, you know, he's playing with Myers. I think that's actually a pretty good combo. Um, but, uh, you know, it's put other guys in, in difficult positions too, uh, that they have to play their off wing like Schmidt. Another rookie that we have yet to see make the lineup, but I think a lot of Canucks fans are wondering what are the, what's the organization going to do with him is, uh, Jack Rathbone. I know you brought up the numbers game of lefty righties. He's another left-handed defenseman. And I agree that I thought Ole Levy's been playing some of his best hockey. I think every Canucks fan literally lost their mind when he stood up. Or uh, not Keith Kachuk, pardon me, Matt Kachuk the other day. Yeah. Um, yeah. But Jack Rathbone is an interesting uh, player right now for the Canucks because he's just kind of sitting on the taxi squad. And I don't know, I'm sure behind the scenes they're trying to figure out what to do with him, whether they can have some kind of uh, AHL agreement with, you've heard the Manitoba Moose. I know if they end up sending him down to Utica, there's chances of him coming back or slim to none. So I think that's why they're trying to hold on to him. But and I, I know we just all sang the praises of Ole Levy, but would you like to see Jack Rathbone get a shot in in a game in maybe the next uh, week or so here? Yeah, it's a fair comment. I actually don't, I haven't seen Jack play once, uh, actually. So I'm not really versed to talk about him. Uh, but I will say that, you know, as this team again with the like we're talking talk about the gelling, um, kind of the energy. Uh, creating some consistency. Um, it's really tough with rookies. <laughs> and I think, uh, you know, as it is, is the team is really struggling with that. Um, you know, again, Hoglander playing really well, still a rookie, still making some mistakes that, you know, aren't as noticeable because on the other side, he's doing amazing things and, and distracting us uh, with it, you know, and uh, same thing with you, Levy, like, you know, again, solid, still making rookie mistakes, uh, putting Chatfield in, obviously a little bit of an experiment. Um, so it, it's tough to continue to compound that, especially when, um, you know, the, the guy behind the bench, like his job's on the line. Like, I think he's done an amazing, amazing job to this point. Uh, I would re-up him today if I was management. Uh, but it's clear that he's in an audition this year um, to see if he can kind of hold hold serve. Uh, so, you know, it, that's just a tough position to put another rookie into. And again, dilute. Um, it, it sounds kind of silly, but dilute your veteran presence or like your, you know, I, I guess your experience points or however you want to kind of say it. But um, it, it's it's a tough position to throw him into. Um Again, I, I haven't seen the player myself. I haven't seen him live. I haven't seen him on on tape that much, so I couldn't say like, "Oh yeah, that's uh, he'd fit in nicely." Or yeah, I'm jacked up about it. You bring up a really good point regarding Travis Green and not having a contract beyond this year. And I honestly put the blame solely on ownership. I don't think it's Jim Benning's decision not to re-up Travis Green to a multi-year extension here. But it is interesting because he is coaching for his job and for his security moving forward. And the one criticism I have had of Green this year especially is him not benching some of the veteran players like a Jay Beagle, Antoine Russell. I mean, Sutter's been okay. 
I think relatively speaking, but you know, I'd like to see a guy like Mark Michaelis get a chance uh, on the bottom six. Everyone says the guy can skate like the wind. I've never seen him play, but you know, you're just reading what some of, you know, guys more versed and more educated in this player uh, have said, you know, I'd like to see him get a shot. I'd love to see a guy like Zach McEwen get more of a role and more ice time than what he was getting when he was playing. Uh, Do you think that's definitely having an effect? I mean, it sounds like you do that. The reason some of these veteran guys are getting a little bit more leeway with ice time is because green's trying to win games and he can trust them and rely on them more than these unproven uh, rookies or, you know, players with very few uh, NHL games under their belt. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I like, I want to say one thing there though. Like it's not back to like the black and white, I guess. Um, obviously I think there has been conversations between the coach and management with the that has to be right. Uh, but you know, Travis is also wanting to get paid. <laughs> so, uh, part of the negotiation, uh, he's probably, you know, maybe asking or pushing his limits and management's like, well, let's see. Or ownership's like, well, can you? Are you? Are you? Uh, are you one of the best in the league? Um, you know, can you take this mismatch of uh, putty that we've given you and actually do something with it? Um, which is, you know, basically what's happening, right? So, um, I, I, I don't know those inner workings. I can't speak to it, but I'm not going to say like, oh yeah, hammer, hammer the other side because they haven't signed him. It's like, I bet you, Green's like pay me as one of the top five coaches. Cause I am. And they're probably like, are you maybe? Um, and they're, they're kind of trying to suss that out a little bit, especially as, you know, shrewd businessmen that we know uh, the owners are right. They, they, they watch the bottom line on everything. So, um, you know, they're, they're, they're going to be counting if it's ex- extra $5 or not, you know, but um, yeah, in terms of, uh, you know, in terms of the veterans, yeah, I think you hit it on the head. He knows what he's going to get out of Beagle every single night. Um, you know, much, much to my chagrin, like Erickson even, you know, after his first couple games has uh, been very consistent. You know exactly what he's going to do. Do I like it? No, he sucks. Like, get him out of there. But um, is he going to make mistakes? Is he going to cost you a game? No. Um, 18, though, making mistakes – costing games get him out put big mac in he is a way better fit especially on the fourth line um you know jay can't think the game he's proven it he's been tried on the first line can't think the game been tried on the second line can't play at that speed been tried on the third line can't check well enough Been tried on the fourth line when you don't have to think you just have to make smart you just have to make plays you just have to touch the puck just don't 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 make a negative play you proved wrong there too. So, um, you know, I think he's kind of worked his way through, uh, but back to the uh, kind of coach thing is, you know, he's, he's got that card and if he doesn't play that card, then that card's also worthless too. And then management telling him he's got to play that card. So it's actually kind of maybe worth something, but um, you know, I think people are kind of smart in that too. Mention Zach McEwen. I'm a big Zach McEwen fan and I I've been, preaching every game when I see him sitting on the bench, why is he in in, instead of Jake? Um, Lots of rumors about Vertanen getting traded out of town and some rumors about Adam Gaudet as well. Sounds like you're in favor of of Vertanen making a move. What are your thoughts about Adam Gaudet? 
I really like Godet. I think he he's not doing what he needs to do to solidify his third line role in the NHL, uh, which is really disappointing. Like um, him coming out of college, Hobie Baker winner, uh, you know, great skill set, uh, definitely able to play the power play. Um, you know, doesn't crack our top unit, obviously. Um, you know, good depth player uh, can play the game well, um, but he's not producing. Uh, that being said, uh, you know, you take Roussel off his wing, you give him someone that can actually potentially, uh, you know, do something with the puck, uh, i.e., not Jake, um, you know, and things might kind of change. I really do think that. Like my opinion is that management and coaching see him as the third line center when they make a run. Uh, he has the potential to do that. He's not there today. Um, so, you know, he is a trade chip, uh, but you, he's in that realm too, right? If like you go a couple more years and then you've maybe got another Jake on your hands uh, and then he's untradeable. So, uh, you know, the, that's a really tough decision there. Again, I, 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 I like the guy saw him once on the street after his first game and, um, you know, like I yucked it up a bit with him and it said, he said he was going to dinner with his parents and I said, he better be buying. And uh, you know, he was really responsive to all that. So, um, you know, you want to see good humans, uh, do well. Um, uh, but at the same time, he is underperforming to, to what he needs to do to maintain his position and his job. I, I just got to go back a little bit, Jay, and say that rant you went on about Jake Vertanen, that was like Mike Singletary-esque. You know, can't win with him. Nope. It like literally reminded me of that. Uh, going back to the Adam Gaudette thing, I do think you can see that he does think the game, unlike a Jake, right? He, he, he is making plays out there, but he just, for whatever reason, he just can't finish. Uh, the second unit power play, I believe, is still goalless this year. They kind of got robbed last night. I believe they scored a goal with like just as the penalty expired. It doesn't officially account as a power play goal, but I'm going to say it sort of counts as a power play goal. You do see these sparks of offense out of Adam Gaudet. However, I do think a lot of players that are in Gaudet's position need to adjust their expectations as who they are as an NHLer. I don't think he's going to be this, you know, 40 goal man, Hobie Baker winner in the NHL. He's just, unfortunately, for whatever reason, his skill set isn't going to translate that way to the NHL. I think he really needs to start honing in on his defensive game. And that's one of the reasons why I think Green has shifted him over to the wing and put Sutter in the middle there. Um, but Sutter's also a black hole for offense. I mean, the guy, he could put the puck in the net, but don't ever expect a crisp tape to tape pass from him. Uh, I'm not opposed to trading Godet. Uh, I agree with both you guys. I think Godet is a potential trade chip. What you're getting back, and you know, you're still going to need to fill this third ice center position. Now, the one thing that I did want to bring up, and this guy is lighting it up with Utica at the center ice position, they moved him over to play center this year, is Cole Lind. And, you know, could Cole Lind potentially make a guy like Jake, or sorry, not Jake, uh, Adam Gaudet expendable, especially since you might end up coming down to, who do you protect at the expansion draft, Cole Lind or Adam Gaudet? Yeah, that's really fair. Uh, I would counter that and say, 
you know, get rid of uh, down the road or to now uh, you don't have Sutter and you don't have Roussel. And uh, now your third line is not looking bad with uh, Lind and Gaudet, uh, especially with some experience. So, um, you know, especially if you get big body and, you know, maybe McEwen continues his uh, development. You know, these are all hypotheticals, though, that we're that I'm speaking about and I'm saying future years. Um, but clearly they got issues right now. So, um, you know, I would, I would try a lot more things than what they're currently doing. I know things are super hamstrung. Um, me personally, like I have no idea why a experienced goal scorer like Berchi is, is in Utica when um, he can't be worse than Erickson. He can't be worse than Jake. It's just not possible. Um, you know, as you know, uh, you know, I just, why wouldn't you roll the dice when uh, clearly things aren't working uh, well? I know that's a bit of a hot take. I know that's a bit of a reach, uh, but, you know, our best line three years ago was Besser, Horvat, Berchi. Um, so why, why wouldn't you try? Uh, it doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. Um, but back to your kind of comment about Lynn Godet, like, I, I never saw this team going deep this year. Uh, I see the team going deep maybe next year, probably the year after that, and hopefully for the next couple of years after that. So to me, whatever you need to do to get in that position, and you know, I think Godet has that ability to, to help you there in that position. I think Lynn does too. Um, but you also have to cut bait like we were just talking about on, uh, on situations that uh, maybe aren't tenable. I've never understood the Sven thing entirely myself either. It seemed like he went from second line to the minors very quickly. Another thing with um, with Gaudet, just with the Hobie he, Bates. He played for he played for Green in Portland too. Like it makes no sense. Like there's got to be some kind of weird thing going on there, or maybe like he's actually seriously injured that we know, have nothing about, and maybe he's he's able to participate at the AHL but just can't doesn't have that gear anymore. I, I don't know. Sorry, I cut you off there. No, no, it's all good. I, I, I agree. I think I feel like there is something we don't know. Um, and I also just wanted to uh, quickly comment with um, Godet and the Hobie Baker. The Hobie Baker is a weird trophy. I, it's like you're, you're either hitting a home run or you're striking out on three pitches with, with these guys. Like if you go through the last like 30 years, I know Eichel and Goudreau and like Paul Correa are really the only prominent winners of this. There's been a whole lot of other guys. I know Kale McCarr has won it as well, but there's a lot of other guys, if you look through the list, that just never quite turned out. So it is it is a bit of a misleading award. There's there's also the whole thing with playing on a on a shortened season, on, on a different ice. It, it's kind of a, a, a weird setup. Doug, you're making hand gestures. Are you okay there? The blatant disrespect to Brendan Morrison, Pete? Wow. <laughs> Was Morrison a winner too? I forgot about him. Oh yeah, it was. Brandon he was. Morrison, forgot about him. Yeah, yeah. So that was it. That was sec. I, I apologize. I got I got cut up with guys like Blake Jeffrian and Matt Carl and Ryan Duncan there. I, I forgot about Brendan Morrison. Um, Jay, I did want to talk a little bit about, and and this feels kind of like a, a very foreign concept. You know, almost a year into COVID here, but I wanted to talk a bit about the, the large and, and the in-game experience. And maybe if you could just 
kind of fill us in and everyone listening, just maybe with like a, like Cole's notes of just how the Lars Shiders came to be and what the goal of the Lars Shiders is. Yeah, I'd love to. Uh, love sp- spreading the good gospel. Uh, we want we want more people involved, and the more people that know, uh, the more people get involved. So uh, even if they're not in our section. Um, so this would have been the Lars Shiders' fifth season. Uh, it was a small group of about 50 in our first year. Uh, we've grown since the last season. Uh, we were over 300. And that's uh, packs of tickets to about eight games in one section. Uh, you have to stand. Uh, you can participate in chanting or not. Uh, we got some signs. Uh, pretty much promoting just kind of in-game fan culture um, uh, to make the arena more enjoyable and, and get more interaction um, going so we're not just, you know, a bunch of stiffs uh, watching the game. Uh, it came about um, my friend uh, Rob Williams he kind of wrote a bit of a scathing article about the situation again, like about five years ago saying it sucked, wasn't fun. You know, no one's doing anything. You know, the videotron is happening, but no one's interacting. Uh, no one's really watching the gameplay, blah, blah, blah. And uh, he kind of laid out a bunch of, you know, possibilities to potentially uh, help, help the scenario. So uh, we were really lucky that summer, that off season, uh, a guy named Ryan Nicholas was hired by the Canucks or not hired, but he was promoted uh, within the ranks of the Canucks. Um, not only to uh, his portfolio was content uh, previously, but his portfolio expanded to in-game experience uh, as well. And he read the article um, and he contacted Rob and he said, uh, let's, let's try this thing. Let's uh, let's put, Let's put 50 people in there and uh, see, see what you can do and see if it makes them more enjoyable and see if you have a good time and uh, if it kind of spreads a little bit. So uh, that was kind of the impetus. Um, uh, we're, we're, we're all about it. I'm all about it. Um, you know, we've had some things that we try to create um, at the rink uh, for that experience. Like I go for every warm up um, that I do attend games to make sure I'm on the glass, make sure the boys know uh, we're in the building, um, you know, try to bring a variety of uh, signs or something funny to try to crack the ice, which has been uh, successful to, to certain extents. You know, some, some guys like interacting on that level, some don't. Um, and then, you know, when we do uh, get up in the cheap seats, uh, like I said, uh, everyone has to stand. That is uh, one, uh, if they're able, uh, one, uh, you know, covenant of our, our group. And one thing that makes us kind of stick out in the arena. And then, um, you know, I personally have fashioned a few different signs, uh, that, uh, we brandish some other people bring some, uh, we try to bring a variety of chants that are just kind of beyond go Canucks go. Um, but again, trying to differentiate ourselves from soccer culture, cause we're not, uh, football or soccer culture, we're hockey culture. And, uh, so we're, we don't typically sing, um but uh, we do have some stuff going on other than um the they've refused to play the hockey song in arena so uh, i do print out 100 uh pieces of sheet music or uh, lyrics rather every larshider game and hand that out so we do uh, initiate that uh, uh but that's basically our only song was there any roots in the idea that that came from soccer culture? Because I, I, you know, Doug and I have been going as season ticket holders for years, 
And yeah, there have been many games, especially during the regular season through the slugs of right about what would be now, where the we, we always criticize the lower bowl and the lack of energy. Um, and I know the Whitecaps had a, a bit of a surge for a while there when they came in and people are like saying, oh, hey, is why can't Canucks games be more like that? But was there any sort of rooting to soccer culture behind the idea or was this kind of taking elements of just what you wanted the Canucks games to be? Yeah, it's really, um, I guess let's take it back a step. Uh, we didn't have a name when we first kind of came on. Um, and it really was about identifying us as a unique culture. It had nothing to do with copying anyone other than like, we, we don't allow scarves, <laughs> you know, we don't encourage singing. Um, and we really wanted to differentiate ourselves. Uh, you know, I have experienced like one of my hobbies is travel around the world to go and, and witness hockey culture. And it is there. It's obviously uh, crossbred with uh, soccer culture, especially in the European nations. Um, so it's hard to differentiate exactly, but, you know, one of my first experiences was in Malmo and the world juniors. And uh, we went to see Sweden play Norway uh, in Malmo arena. It's like a 13,000 seat arena. So pretty big space. And, you know, most popular uh, ticket of the tournament for that night. And they still had a supporter section uh, behind the home net, uh, you know, and, and they were about probably 50 to a hundred guys deep uh, men, sorry, men and women deep. And um, you know uh, they were just nonstop and those hundred dictated the entire arena. So, you know, they started the drum beat, all 13,000 people did the drum beat. Uh, you know, they uh, gave a call chant. Uh, all 13,000 people knew the reciprocating uh, chant. And so, you know, we tried to uh, talk about those things and bring, tease those things out. And they're so foreign in, in, um, in North America, but, you know, try to chip away. So it's just at least beyond, like, we're always going to have the staple, go Canucks, go. And it's great. But, you know, you need to create some variety and some interaction and some fun. Uh, the only other thing I want to say there, too, is that, you know, our name, the Larshiders, it does, um, you know, resemble the, the soccer supporter group. And um, it's not by design per se, other than it's just, you know, we really identify that uh, Tommy was kind of our, our, our spirit and uh, who we wanted to emulate. And, you know, at the time he got canned. Uh, because he was speaking the truth and uh, telling it like it is and being a true fan, even in his position. So uh, we couldn't have thought of anyone better, and you know, with the fire in the belly and um, someone that we wanted to represent and we thought represented uh, Vancouver fan culture. So that's, that's how, how we, we landed on the name. I think it's a great name. I grew up with Tom Larshide listening to games on the radio. Uh, he's the classic Homer, but I mean, I, I'll never forget some of his calls, like the Yelp when Bure scored in 94. Where, um, I, I, I love the guy. Um, and also, uh, I, I just wanted to kind of emphasize your point about games in Europe. I've been over to Europe for games as well. And one lasting memory for me was in Stockholm, in, uh, in Moto Arena there. Um, was our first game of the world championships and it was Sweden and Switzerland. And that was the main event. And the Swiss fans just filled that place. It was half Swiss, half Swedes. And we were kind of this token group of Canadians over here. 
and the Swiss fans were all dressed up. They had chants going and, and Switzerland actually won that game. And I remember being outside the arena afterwards. There was just, and going into like the, uh, the fan centers and all the Swiss were bouncing, but the Swedes were there too. And everyone was just having a lot of fun. It was just, it was one of the best hockey atmospheres I've ever been to was an early game tournament in a world championships between Switzerland and Sweden. Yeah. So I get the energy where you're, where you're coming with yeah. that. Yeah. And just, it's just incredible. And like, win or lose, they would have brought that energy. And no matter what, the outcome or the play or whatever, like they are willing their team on for the entire duration. They are not passive in participation at all, you know, and they're all in. They're not just participating, but they're decked out. They got, you know, flags or they got their face paint going. They got a drum, uh, you know, they're, they've invested in, into that outcome uh, through their energy and uh, through their participation. So, you know, that's, that's really what we're trying to start in Vancouver. It's been, it's been a road, um, you know, uh, we have limitations as well, uh, but uh, we're definitely growing and we'd love to see more people participate. And, you know, even, even you guys, if you're not very in our section, but, you know, we want to see everyone in, in the arena, um, you know, actively engaging in the game because it makes it more fun. Uh, you know, it makes it awesome uh, versus like, okay, or, you know, a nice night. I think it's a really good point because before the Larshiders were going to games and starting this whole kind of like having fun at the game again, Pete and I work at a hostel and we've had season tickets for years. And for us, a lot of the times us going to these games, we're showing people from overseas hockey. So it's their first hockey experience. People from Australia, Ireland, the UK, New Zealand, Germany. And so for us, it's this great chance to showcase the sport we all love and we all grew up watching. And the amount of times we would take people to these games and the Canucks would win and people would leave the games feeling like that was really boring. And it just goes to show that that kind of cheer culture isn't, it's almost associated, at least I feel in North America is like being drunk and obnoxious when it's not, it's, you know, it's meant to be fun and you're, it's meant to be inclusive and, you know, let's, let's enjoy this moment together. This is a moment as opposed to staring at your phone the whole, whole time. And our section that we're in, uh, I would say that some of the regulars in that section have gotten a little bit better of, you know, cheering and, you know, getting behind. And I think a lot of that is because of the Larshiders and, you know, for Pete and I, I, I love seeing that and I want to see it spread all throughout the arena. I really do. Yeah, for sure. And it's also the idea in Vancouver of looking at the sport as an event and as entertainment. And the difference in Vancouver, a lot of the times I find between regular season games and playoff games it's night and day, right? We all know the bandwagon fills up and the bandwagon empties out. But when you look at going to a Canucks game as an experience, an event, and it's something that you're looking forward to, and you're there to have fun, it, it completely changes the way you look at it. And I know I've, I've done that over the years. I used to wear my moods a, a lot more with how, how the Canucks would play. But when I go to games now, I'm, I'm going to just have fun. And I certainly don't need beers or to be obnoxious or to heckle the goalies or whatever i want to i want to feel an energy and i think that's also something that coming out of this era that there a lot of people are really going to be looking for is that 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 bridge and that connection 
between the team and the fans. And I think uh, Jay, you guys do a fantastic job with that. We're, we're sitting halfway, well, literally about as far across from you guys as we can, but I know Doug and I always, we can see you guys just to the left of the scoreboard where we're sitting and uh, we really appreciate what you guys are doing. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, I, I enjoy it so much. And um, you know, when, when Rob first put out the messages about the group, like, uh, I was the first, I called him within about five minutes and it was like something that I had been waiting for. And again, like, this is my hobby. Like I love going and experiencing culture and hockey culture and immersing myself in it and to try and chip away at that in our city and, um, you know, uh, seep it into, uh, our psyche that, you know, it can be fun and it should be. And, uh, we want to be as interactive as possible. And, um, you know, I just couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't get on the phone soon enough to try to get the ball rolling and, 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 you know, try to keep it going. Do you think there's anything ownership management team executives could do to, to make the in-game experience better? Obviously the fans are a big part of that, but you know, the music, and I know there's been a lot of talk about the change in DJs and, you know, goal songs and all this stuff, but is there anything else that, you know, you would suggest, because it sounds like, like you said, you're immersed in hockey culture and, you know, you are like the super fan, which is amazing. Do you think there's anything that, you know, ownership management, the team in general could do for it to be a better experience for the fans? Yeah, I think, I think there's lots. Um, you know, one thing I think that just to start with um, that the Canucks really struggle with is a brand identity um, and not saying that I have the answers for that, but it's kind of homogenous. It's kind of a bit scattered. You know, we have a bazillion logos. Um, our main logo is owed to a old corporation that's defunct. Um, you know, there's not really any identifier. You say like Canucks or like a Canucks fan. It's like, you can kind of like a like inclusive, which is great. They've worked on that. That's awesome. Uh, you know, verse, uh, but there's no real, you know, identity uh, around that in terms of, um, you know, we're Canucks. Like what's a Canuck? plaid jeans uh you know jean jackets uh hosers beauties uh maple syrup uh lagers um you know and they don't intertwine that a lot if at all um into their in-game presentation um so you know one thing ryan did a little for a little bit was like he put the ice people in flannel and it's like that's vancouver that is a canuck uh you know put him put toques on him great uh you know and that's a little thing but you could immerse that into a lot of different aspects of your in-game presentation of your concourse of your are uh, welcoming your um your media your your ads um you know you could seep that in if that was their choice but uh you know they've they've made their stuff clear it's, it's definitely more corporate it's not what they fit there but you know i would love to see you know, them glob onto something versus just Finn or um, again, I love their inclusive and diversity initiative. I think it's great um, as a, as kind of a brand. Um, and uh, I think it's important, um, but 
you know, there's nothing that's like, you know, uh, you, you pick up your jersey and you go to the game. Um, you know, and again, I'm, I'm not adding all the answers, but like uh, I've, we have created something where you pick up your jean jacket and you go to the game, uh, you know, and I think they could do something along those lines um, to make it a little bit more directive and uh, identifying. Uh, so that would be like kind of the first thing, um, you know, that, that does seep into music as well. Uh, as I mentioned, they refuse to play the hockey song. Uh, makes no sense to me. They haven't given us a reason. I ask for it every single Larshiders game. Uh, they don't play it. They sometimes do on occasion, maybe, um, you know, uh, and back to Brad identifiers, they play, um, you know, Sweet Caroline. Again, people love the song, arguably a good song. It's a Boston song. We're at a Vancouver Canucks game. Like put two and two together. Um, you know, they've tried a lot of initiatives that are popular in like football in the States or college sports, Seven Nation Army. Um, it's not hockey culture. Like stop trying to force feed it, allow for these organic kind of brand things to kind of percolate. And, you know, I think the large side is a big part of that. I would love to see more collaboration in, in that way. Um, you know, uh, crazy Pete, love crazy Pete, great guy, super high energy. Um, doesn't look at the play when it's happening. Um, yells over us and tries his own things instead of including us and being uh, uh, a joining force tries to dictate the terms when there's 300 of us there um, already doing our thing um, you know so these little things again could add up and could be very powerful like if we if we had more communicate weird as it sounds we had more communication with crazy p uh, you know we could get more done um, we could create more uh, in, in the arena, um, promoting, uh, getting to games early, you know, the game doesn't start at seven guys. Like the players warm up at four o'clock, you know, warm ups at six 30. Uh, you know, they have a small beer special at six, but it's like, no one's in there, you know, like make it an atmosphere, have more things on the concourse. I know they have limited space. I know their budget concerns are limited. Uh, but, you know, create a, create a tailgating or, um, you know, early culture around it versus just putting a special up and expecting people are going to show up. Um, you know, you have to really put effort in, into it uh, to try to create it. And again, I'm not going to knock, there's a lot of good people working there and a lot of good people doing a lot of things I'm saying uh, or pushing for it. Uh, but I don't think it's a coordinated effort and I definitely think that it's low on the priority list when um, in terms of, of, of the fan and, and the culture experience. Safe to say you're not a fan of the seventh man experiment that uh, we had. <laughs> that was, that was, yeah. Don't, don't just copy what Seattle's doing. I think that's, uh, that's uh, a good lesson. I agree. What do you think of the Viking clap? Because I personally like that. They usually do it in the third period and they have, you're talking about like, you know, the identity of a Canuck and it's the Johnny Canuck character coming out. And I personally really like that, but I know some people thought it was a little hokey and a little forced. Uh, what did you think of that? I thought it was great. Our two best players are Swedes. They liked it. Um, you know, they had a huge Videotron thing that like, 
uh, interacted and got people going, people did it. Like that's number one, like what's going to resonate? Like people thought it was fun. Um, but then I don't think they allowed enough runway. Like a lot of these things, you know, you can't just try for five games and be like, mm, I don't like it. You know, you have to stick to it, especially stuff that has a bit of stickiness. Um, you have to keep going and, and it may not work every time, but you've got to keep pumping it and you've got to just make it. So it's like, oh yeah, second period, uh, second uh, TV timeout, uh, coming back to play always Viking clap, you know, um, again, mine is, uh, first period, second TV timeout coming back to play hockey song. We sing it every time. Um, you know, and, and you got to keep, and what has that been successful all the time? Like, no, no, it hasn't. It is bombed. It is a hundred percent bombed. Uh, but has it been successful sometimes? Yes, yeah, it has. I'd say more, uh, more than not. So, um, in, if you do that and enough people um, keep hearing it and it keeps getting ingrained, then it's going to, um, it's going to percolate and it's going to, it's going to continue instead of, again, like Viking clap slightly different. It is top down, but I think it has widely accepted and people are buying into it versus, you know, seven nation army, which is like, you know, force fed copying someone else, uh, people weren't that into it and they keep, keep trying. I get memos about it. You know, it's like, no, I don't want to. Jay, we're running out of time here. Um, I want to thank you again for joining us. Um, in the absence of actually being in the arena, is there anything that large shiders are doing right now? Or is there any way that people can get involved or at least get in touch with you guys if they want to be involved? Yeah, great Great stuff. Thanks for uh, bringing that up. Um, so if you want to join the Lars Shiders of future years, uh, email larshiders at gmail.com. Uh, we'll set you up with our Facebook group, which is private. So you get an email, you get an invite to that group, you get on in, uh, then you'll get access to our ticket pack. Um, the more people that ask for our ticket pack, the more powerful we are, the more we can negotiate more games, uh, the more we can negotiate our price point. Uh, so we want, we want people in there. Um, we want people participating in, in the end game. You know, we want to take up at least a whole section, uh, which we're almost at now, if not more, uh, so we can spread the, the good vibes and, and what we want to do in the arena. Um, and then the second point, the Canucks do have some stuff going on. We'd love uh, to see people participate. Uh, they've asked and put a call out for signs pregame. Uh, so, you know, we can't be there pregame uh, to let everyone know that uh, we're cheering for them, but you can make your own sign. You can hand it off at the team store. And um, uh, Jason Steensma, who's a, 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 a director there, uh, will put it up uh, on the glass and uh, if uh, it's deemed appropriate, obviously. Great stuff. Well, hopefully we all get to go to games. Hopefully we get to see you at games. And uh, maybe we, if we're not in the section, we'll be uh, halfway across uh, the two the two funny guys in Canucks jerseys trying to wave signs and, and get things going in section 313. Jay, thanks again. I can follow him on Twitter at Blue Collar Brigade. Just drop the E's on that. And uh, I know we didn't even get into the music aspect of stuff this time, so we'll have to do this again. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, no, my pleasure, guys. Thank you so much.
All right, it's that time of the episode. It's the free pour open floor, and I'm just going to jump into mine. And I don't think we've really, at least I don't think I've ever really talked about this in this segment, but I'm going to talk about video games. And tomorrow, Nintendo is doing their Nintendo Direct series, where I think they just kind of list and put out some game trailers of some upcoming games they have in the pipeline for 2021 and potentially 2022 as well. And the big game that I think a lot of people are anticipating to at least have a trailer revealed tomorrow and hopefully a date on its release is Breath of the Wild 2 for the Nintendo Switch. It's the Zelda franchise. Uh, I own Breath of the Wild 1, an absolutely beautiful, stunning game, incredible gameplay. I've always loved the Zelda franchise. And fingers crossed tomorrow during the Nintendo Direct, 2 p.m. Pacific, there'll be a Breath of the Wild 2 trailer. Ah, nice one, nice one. Uh, I did not realize that was happening, so hey, I learned something today. Hey, I just wanted to talk about a TV show, and I don't think I've talked about this one, um, but if I have, you're going to hear about it again. But I finally finished watching The Long Way Up, which is the third in the series of Ewan McGregor and Charlie Borman riding motorbikes from point A to point B. Um, as someone who's an avid traveler, I've loved these series because they travel very similarly to the way I do, and the cinematography is great, but man, oh man, has it made me miss traveling and that adventure. They go from the tip of South America to LA on electric motorbikes. Um, it's, it's great, and I mean, I really recommend it, but if you're a traveler, it's also gonna, it'll satiate some itches, but it'll unleash several more, so. I've warned you, but it is fantastic. It's on Apple TV as well, so give it a watch. I'm guessing it's safe to say, Pete, this is the longest you haven't traveled in probably, what, at least a decade, if not two? Um, since uh, over two decades. This is the longest it's been. I was actually thinking about this the other day, but uh, uh, in over two decades, this is the longest I've been without leaving the country. Uh, that's uh, I was lucky um, just before everything happened about like literally a few days before I was in California so I got back when things started going a little bit squirrely and then two days later everything shut down um, but yeah that's almost a year ago now and uh, as you know I, I rarely go uh, more than a few months without getting out of the country so yeah it's uh, it's tough right now yeah definitely I hear you Thanks for tuning in, folks. Episode 64, just about in the books. I wanted to give a bit of a nod to what we're listening to here as well, because uh, what we've kind of decided to do, and we should have done this earlier, but we only just decided it after our last episode, is for Black History Month, we're going to start just featuring black artists, prominent ones, ones that we like, ones that have a cool story. And Doug, you suggested Aretha Franklin for the first one, and... I gotta say, it's a fantastic choice. Yeah, I mean, Aretha Franklin's always been one of my all-time favorites. And also, a little fun fact about Aretha, she's the first woman ever to be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Um, you know, they, there's a reason why she's called, you know, she, she's got the title of the Queen of Soul. And one of my all-time favorite artists, I have two or three of her albums on vinyl. Um, yeah, man, Aretha Franklin, what else is there to say? 
20 number ones, and she was also in Blues Brothers. That was one of uh, my first times when I made the connection. I'm like, hey, she is the person that my dad listens to in the car all the time. Um, I, I grew up with a lot of Motown from that era, and yeah, I mean, what, what a voice. And uh, Aretha, we, we, uh, we give you the salute. One of, one of our favorite singers of any era. Uh, I, I think it's amazing, so good choice, Doug. Yeah, and her role in the Blues Brothers was outstanding. I, one of my favorite movies, and that role when they walk into the diner there, man, it's just, oh, it's so good. So good, so good. I may have to watch that again. I actually have the Blues Brothers soundtrack on vinyl somewhere. Maybe I'll, I'll chuck that on. Um, also, thanks to Jay from the Larshiders for joining us. That was a fun conversation. I know we kind of, again, went down memory lane. That seems to be a bit of the, the theme this week is talking travel and things that we missed. But uh, it was nice to talk about... Uh, a few different things as well. Yeah, it really was. It was a re- really good conversation with Jay. Uh, he's a passionate, passionate fan, not just of the Canucks, but I think just of hockey culture in general. And he's got some really good ideas, I think, that are kind of outside the box and inclusive to hockey fans of all, you know, gender and race and culture. And uh, I think it's 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 important discussions to have and ideas for fans to kind of embrace these new ideas and ways of experiencing the game and yeah it was a great conversation yeah definitely and uh man i I can't wait to be able to jump over to europe and do tournaments uh that's that's gonna be a lot of fun um you can follow myself on twitter i'm at pete underscore gas we have the canucks speakeasy outro playlist going on spotify and we'll add this aretha track onto it as well You can give me a follow on Twitter at Doug Venn, and please be sure to follow the Speakeasy account on Twitter at CanucksSpeak. As always, thanks for listening. Hasta luego.